lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you're listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we share our very sexy details in an effort to help everyone all around the world lead better laid lives. And my guest today, I am very excited to introduce to you is Kamali. Welcome. Thank you. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. Kamali, originally from Brooklyn, New York, but I guess I've been a Los Angelino for long enough now to claim it. Okay. How long? Uh, oh gosh, like 18 years. Okay. Yeah. I just hit 12. Yeah. It, yeah. it goes by quick after a while. <laughs> Let's see. So I am a love and intimacy educator. I work with tantric and Taoist practices. I tell people that the basis of the work I do is to help restore connection where it's gone missing. So like in people's bodies, in their relationships, healing places where there's been separation and disconnect so that they can feel more pleasure and Mm -hmm. access more intimacy and be able to create love on purpose. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I want to hear all the details about how you got there. Will you tell us a little bit about your personal self? Sure. Okay, so I I mentioned I grew up in Brooklyn. (laughs) And I had kind of an interesting background. Like I grew up in a Caribbean neighborhood, like a lot of different socioeconomic, you know, exposure. And, And but then I was going to an international school in the city. So there was a lot of like kids were diplomats and ambassadors, children from around the world. And so I had the gift of like being exposed to a lot of difference very early on. And then my parents are very interesting. My mom's very alternative kind of health nut, very into health and nutrition and alternative medicine and different things. My dad's a lawyer, entertainment attorney, and was kind of an activist in college. And their pairing was was interesting because I grew up in a very alternative household. Mm. So like emphasis a lot on education, but also on like asking questions and looking beyond the system, the mainstream system and all these different things. Awesome. Yeah, laid a pretty interesting foundation and landed at first in college going to film school. Mm. (laughs) And I actually spent about 15, 16 years in entertainment after I graduated writing, directing, editing, and acting. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was an awesome adventure all unto itself. And of course, like so many people, you know, life happens. And my parents got divorced, and it kind of like led my family through this big split, which led me down this huge rabbit hole of exploring relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own, you know, about our familial connections, but also just in general, like, what are we doing in a relationship? Like, why do we sign up for all this pain? Like... <laughs> So do you have all of the answers now? <laughs> I you wish. Tell me. I have some of them. Okay. I have many more than when I first began. And so, yes, yeah, just answered a lot. I went through, I call it like the moment where I had my dark night of the soul, where everything falls away and you're questioning everything and you have to like rebirth yourself. Yeah. You know, so part of my rebirthing was really understanding how I work and how to bring more of who I really am into my relating. So that led me down so many different rabbit holes. When did like, that happen? Can I ask? Yeah, this was, what was this? Like 2010, okay. I want to say. So it, it, I want to say it started around 2008. The peak of it was around 2010. So by by 2010, I had already done some therapy and I landed in like the, like the crux of what became the foundation, mm-hmm. which is I went through all of Landmark's beginner programs, mm-hmm. the first three and had a bunch of epiphanies and openings in that. And then I was doing, I discovered Tantra 
And I started going down that rubble. How did you discover it? Oh, my goodness. So I was at a sex trade show called, at the time, Love LA. Um, They might have rebranded. There are sex trade shows? Yeah. How do I not know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you should definitely go to one. I need to really. Yeah. I learn everything just by talking to people. And it's terrible because people assume that I'm an expert. And I'm like, no, I just. I just learn from talking to people yeah. because I'm doing like eight other things. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I don't know that I would have known except for somehow it popped on my radar. Okay. And at the time I was definitely, I was in a relationship I'd been in for about six, six years at the time, five, six years. And we had been looking to like, you know, heal some things in our mm-hmm. sexuality. Like we just had completely different approaches to sex and we loved each other a lot, but we really wanted to work some things out in that yeah. area. And so this was like my whole like, let's go to this sex trade show and like get some ideas. And like a lot of people, I was like, we need to spice up our like, or like we need to figure out like how we can connect this way. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's trying different types of like classes or mm-hmm. like, like maybe we try need to try BDSM or like, you know, get a new toy or a swing or something, you know. Yeah. But then while I was at this show, I heard my first Tantra teacher speak, this woman by the name of Charu Morgan, who runs Embody Tantra. And uh, she started talking about the possibility of sexuality coexisting with spirituality and how they weren't separate. Um, and how really to to go into the deeper layers of our sexuality, we had to confront parts of ourselves. And just whatever was coming out of her mouth was just like, no one's ever talked like this about sex. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So I started studying with her pretty intensely for two years. And it changed everything. Yeah. Like that combined with some of the other things I was doing completely put me in touch with parts of myself I didn't know existed. And it changed that relationship, which got better until it got to the point where it's like, you know what? We're not a good fit. Mm. And we ended up ending it actually after eight years. But that whole period in my life really led me down the path where I am now. It led to me eventually teaching this work and, you know, landing in a relationship that's a really good fit for me and all these other pieces that have shifted along the way. Wow. Okay. I am so excited for to dive in after that little overview. Yeah. Let's start by, can you tell our listeners your gender identity, pronouns, and sexual identity? I consider myself female. Mm -hmm. Pronouns, she, her, uh, sexual identity. I consider myself sexually fluid. Mm -hmm. I would seem hetero from all, but in terms of attraction, I'm sexually fluid. Mm -hmm. What was the other part of that question? I don't know. I think that's, oh, do you have any kinks you want to talk about? Oh, kinks. I like choking. Mm Yeah. Great. Okay. We're going to get into details. Do you remember the first time you heard about sex? Like mm. the first time it entered your awareness? Yeah. It's funny because this is a question I ask of a lot of my students mm. where I have, we go through their sexual history. And so I've told this story a lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, my first memory of anything sexual was really, really young. Like my mom actually called me a hot tail because... <laughs> I've never heard that term yeah, before. That was her nickname for me, Hot Tail. Because I was really into like touching, mm-hmm. touching. And I, I was very sexual from a very young age, just in terms of like, I liked to rub myself against mm-hmm. things. I liked to hug and touch people. I liked to, to kiss on people. This is very affectionate. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know what any of that was. Yeah. I just knew it felt good. And, and so my earliest memory, I had a, a boyfriend when I was about two years old who was the son of my mom's best friend. Uh-huh. And we used to like 
be put in the bathtub together and take baths mm-hmm. together. And I don't know where we even got the idea, like how we knew that you could put a penis inside a vagina, but he would call it his car and my vagina was the garage. And he was like, "Let you know, we would talk about playing, put the car in the garage, you know? And these are two little kids who I can, I almost remember, like, I don't think anything could stay in there, but <laughs> we oh were still mimicking this. Wow. Yeah, this, this play together. And then we would sleep together and cuddle and, you know, I remember like like rubbing on each other and like feeling good and different things. I just, my my memory of all of it though is that like I had this like, if I could describe it, it was almost like a volcano, like this like really pulsing passion inside of me that always wanted to erupt. I was like always looking for an outlet for it to like be let free. Were you <laughs> conscious of that from a younger age? Or like I, when you started to contextualize it? Yeah, I mean, not really. I think by the time I started progressing um, and it became, it would always be like looking for friends I could play with or, you know, different things I could do with myself. And I don't know that I understood that it was, that I was doing anything that was like different than anyone else did or or any of those types of things. But I did, some part of me knew that it was like wrong. There was some shame attached to it. Mm. I think we actually got caught once by our parents. And I, I do remember like the, just the frenzied energy of like, what's happening? You know, like, you yeah, know, stop yeah. that, that, stop that. Do you remember how old you were? Probably three. Okay. Yeah. And so like, the way I worked as a child is every time I got caught doing something that made my, my mom upset, it was always my mom mm. upset, I would just hide it better. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did. I would hide it better, but there was still always this, like, parallel shame that would show up with the pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it kind of progressed down the line, I think, to the point where it's just, like, you know, little makeouts with girlfriends and play role playing and <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff and i do remember like actually i some part of me always like to be the dominant one mm-hmm. which is still true in my relationship mm. to this day it's weird like i'll complain sometimes about having to be the initiator in yeah. my relationship but from a very young age i was always the initiator like i was the one like grabbing or like suggesting or like <laughs> really <laughs> yeah Wow. Okay. I want to actually just grab onto that for a second. So you're currently married and do you still initiate with your husband? Like on a, yeah. Totally. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) What about in situations before you were married or partnered when you're searching for partnership, were you always like, would you ask people out? Yeah, that's I mean, that's a good question. You know, I think I never, it was weird. Like I would be very forward in my flirtation. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I wouldn't normally ask people out. I think maybe once or twice I propositioned somebody. Like if it was just about hooking up, I would. Yeah. But something about like asking someone on a date or I I always wanted that to come my way. Well, Um, I was speaking with a friend recently who was sort of making the point that I, Y-O, am so in charge of so many things that I need to get someone who will ask me out, someone who will take initiative, someone who will kind of provide a balance of that masculine and I mean like divine masculine mm-hmm. like the forward outward energy yeah not just the boy girl thing because like yeah. I I would love to be dominated by a woman you know so yeah. I'm so curious about that in this particular moment because I'm like well can I yeah can I be can I be both can I where is the duality there so yeah I feel like you probably have a lot to say about that yeah I mean you t- I think totally because it's it's fascinating in that 
in the, the context of someone with relationship. Well, I know for me, my background, I had a big insecurity issue about being desirable. Mm. Do you remember where that came from? Probably very early on. Like my mom had a thing about not, she really did not want us to be vested in our beauty. So she would never talk about us being beautiful. Other mm -hmm. people would call us cute and mm -hmm. different things, but she would always emphasize it's not about your beauty, it's not about your beauty, which was great in some ways. I feel very liberated from that, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that I knew that I was beautiful. And then there was a lot of my early crushes. I would always fall for these guys that wanted to be with my best friends. <laughs> Really? So I was the girl that every guy wanted to be friends with, but then they wanted to like hook up with my other friends, you know? Whoa. Yeah. So that, that, that quick, like early on gave me this message that, you know, I wasn't attractive to like, I guess, guys in that kind of way. With girls, it was always a different story because it was like we would be friendly with each other and, you know, that might turn into something. But with guys, I was like, oh, I don't have that thing. I don't mm. have that it thing, you know. So it was really important to me later on that guys let me know that they were into me in that way and that I could receive, like, I could, I could have that assurance or reassurance yeah. in order to open up in that way. But if I was being in my... I don't know. There's a whole different energy, I guess, when I step into my sexual energy. If I'm being sexually playful, I don't really care in the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So it's it, that was like a, a different way that I, I was comfortable bringing that. But I did find that it helped a lot because usually if I waited to be approached in a relationship context, like from that interest, then the person's energy was more committed mm. to like pursuing and like, you know, yeah. Yeah. All the pieces I needed to feel more comfortable opening up. Ugh. Okay, so many good insights. I, if you feel comfortable sharing, I would yeah. love to know what else you go through in sexual histories. Yeah. Because this is something that I'm, re when yeah. you said that, I was like, oh, I guess I kind of do that, but just really haphazardly. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a good question to ask because, I mean, one of the things, the reason why I do it is a practice. It's part of the tantric practices that I was taught, actually. And a lot of it is about reflecting, just having the ability to consciously reflect on our sexual experiences throughout life, from the very first memory through each significant sexual encounter until present day. Yeah. Because a lot of times they happen sort of happen circumstance. Yeah. They're sort of sketchy in our memories about what happened and why. And a lot of times we'll bypass things that happened because they were painful or traumatic in different ways. And, and then that still lives in our bodies somewhere, but it's not being brought to the awareness to mm -hmm. be healed. Mm -hmm. So when I work with people, we'll literally just do that. We'll go back like you did to the earliest memory of something sexual or pleasurable. And then we'll step through each significant memory and we'll look at specifically, what did you learn about yourself sexually from that experience? What did you learn about the person you were in, you know, having sex with? Did you learn anything about you know, other people sexually from that experience? And what, what, if any, belief did that experience create around sexuality? And just kind of like unpacking it like that, we can sort of piece together a map of mm -hmm. how we formed sexually. Because each of us is so unique and we've been shaped by the, the, the cumulative experiences of yeah. our life, right? Yeah. So it's really nice to kind of put that picture together and go like, oh, wow, like so this particular like, you know, shyness or this particular fetish actually goes back to this memory. <laughs> like, wow. you know. Yeah. And, and, and it, yeah. You guide people through that process mm -hmm. when the work that you do together. Yeah. I'm curious to know how often 
or if this is a thing you've encountered where someone is familiar with their sexual story in the context of how society might tell that story versus what's true for them. And I guess I'm speaking from a place of like my own personal self. I always was like, oh, I don't want to be the main woman. I love all of these different people. And finally I was like, wait, that's an option. Like that's a possibility. Whereas the messages I was previously getting is like, oh, you have commitment issues and, and, you know, and there still may be truth in that as well. Yeah. So how do you kind of navigate that with people? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a big part of actually the work I'm doing with people is to start to tease apart what are all the cultural assumptions and beliefs that were created about who you are sexually from what are the natural organic impulses, instincts, desires, fears that are there for you without having to label them or pathologize them or any of those things. Just like if we could just have a conversation about like what arises, what I find is that like there is no such thing as normal sexuality, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Like as diverse as the human spectrum is, is as diverse as our sexuality is, right? So it's important to be able to kind of, I think, at some point just to be able to have that deep awareness about, and not just awareness, but like acceptance, Mm -hmm. you know, of like, yeah, I have a problem with this thing, you know, or I have this particular fear, but, you know, at the same time, I I think actually like it's just been a way I've protected myself, Mm. you know, and I protected myself because of these reasons, you know? And so when we start to have compassion and like kind of understanding for some of these parts of ourselves and where they came from and why, I think it removes a lot of that stigma or some of those cultural stories that get mapped over things. Mm -hmm. Because mostly we just want to understand who we are, why we're that way, why other people work the way they work, you know? And then how do we relate from those places? Do you work with people and their partners or are you able to work with people solo? I imagine that work would be really difficult if, see, I'm doing it. So asking so many questions. No, it's fine. It's still kind of in the same question. (laughs) It is. It is. Uh, And like, but I imagine that work would be really difficult if someone was doing the work on themselves and their partner wasn't on board or wasn't into it or wasn't willing to look at the same things. Is that something you encounter? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating because I say I work probably equal parts with I work a lot with women, Mm -hmm. but I also work with couples. Mm -hmm. And I would say of the women I work with one-on-one, probably, you know, half of them are in relationship and half of them aren't. I don't know the exact numbers, but something like that. And it's one of the surprises for a lot of people that you can do this kind of work on your own. And I actually recommend doing it on your own before Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. it in partnership Mm -hmm. because partnership is so complicated. So it's like... (laughs) When I'm working with one person, yeah. like we are working with everything, all the, like your relationship to you. Yeah. And we get to go in deep and dissect all those different things. And the experiences that we're going to have in session are specifically about your yes. system. When I work with couples, we have to go into each person's relationship with their own body. And then the third relationship of the dynamic that creates between their two bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's just, it takes a lot more focus and time. And we're usually, most couples I'm working with, when they're dealing with different intimacy issues or things happening, the underlying root is always something like emotional or, you know, couched basically in some kind of trauma, some kind of emotional suppression, repression. 
just something unresolved. So <laughs> for us lot. to, like, yeah, for, for us to like kind of like, we can't just like be like, okay, touch this differently, right. stroke this like that, and <laughs> yeah. now everything's better. But <laughs> we, we kind of have to get under the hood about mm -hmm. like, why is each partner playing the role that they're playing in the relationship? And what are the unmet needs happening here? And how do we start to shift some of those pieces? Ugh. Yeah. Okay, I want to ask more about the work you're doing. I also want to ask more about your personal experiences. Yeah. Which direction do you want to go first? Let's do the work first. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people have different ideas about what Tantra means. Yes. Will you talk a little bit about what it means to you and your experience and engagement with Tantra? Yeah, I love that you said what it means to me. I appreciate that because Tantra is a huge universe and it's going to get talked about and represented in a lot of different ways depending on who you're talking to. And all of them have different benefits. So for me, Tantra is a path of spirituality. It's a path of meditation, really. And I my first teacher, she would always say, it's all about sex and it's nothing about sex. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's life. The, like, I feel like that is everything. Right? That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Oh my God. I, yeah. You just gave me words to yes. live by. Exactly. It's yes. all about sex and it's nothing about sex. Because the truth is like the, the baseline of Tantra is it provides a beautiful outline, really understanding of how creation works. And the baseline of how creation works is sex. Yeah. You know, like we have to talk about the opposing opposites that come together to create something new. Yeah. And whether you call that the masculine and the feminine or the solar and the lunar or like all these different energies in, in the tantric path, it's often referred to as Shakti and Shiva. Mm -hmm. So Shiva representing the masculine, Shakti representing the feminine. And unlike the way we talk about masculine and feminine culturally, from the tantric perspective, Shakti, the female energy, is actually the dynamic power. Mm. It's the power that creates life, like the, that like brings everything into form. It's it's everything that's moving and constantly changing the cycles, the seasons, yeah. like all. So this is her play that we're in. Like as we are in form, we are in the world of Shakti. <laughs> and and so Shiva, it, the masculine consciousness, is really that inert energy that everything arises from, the void, the structure mm. that the form grows from. And, and the, it's their love affair. What I love is it's very poetic. Yeah. It's the love affair, the love making between Shakti and Shiva that produces the bliss that is our existence. Mm. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, bliss or ecstasy and how Tantra can be a path to awakened states of consciousness, what we're really talking about is beginning to strip away all the veils of our human self that block us from touching the pure essence of mm -hmm. our of what we were made of, that conscious energy that we're made of, which according to them is is that bliss state of the lovemaking of yeah. Shiva and Shakti. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like why Tantra is one of the few paths that you'll see. There was, you know, a whole movement that came to the West that was popularized by Osho. Osho took a, a lot of the Tantric philosophy and created his own system, bringing in um, psychological Western practices and some somatic work to really start to unpack like some specific ailments that mm -hmm. came from what I will call, you know, the post-colonial world. <laughs> so it's like, Osho's like, okay, Westerners are dealing in it. And, and I don't think we can even call it West and East anymore because of how global everything right. has become, right? So yeah. really we're talking about like the affect of colonialism and like all the things that have kind of like perpetuated from that. And the 
effect it has on our psychology yeah. and hence on our bodies and the way we form our lives. So Neo-Tantra is what most people know here in the States, and that was what was popularized by Osho, mm -hmm. and it has a specific emphasis on sexuality mm -hmm. and psychology and unpacking those layers as a way to free up that life force energy that is at the root of your sexual energy, that raw power. And prior to Neo-Tantra is what we would call classical Tantra, which is a lot of different lineages that go back thousands of years, roots being in India. And so I have both practices, like I'm a, both a classical tantrika and practice in the Sri Vidya lineage. And then I'm also practice Neo-Tantra, which is how I first found What is that like? I don't think I've ever met a person that, that <laughs> yeah. held all of that in one place. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if I've ever considered it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I feel really grateful to hold mm. both. Because what I'll tell you is that like Neo-Tantra was the gateway that made Tantra accessible for me. I don't mm. think in the beginning I could have sat down for an hour-long meditation right. practice and chanted a bunch of Sanskrit and done all these rituals right. and really had a connection to it. Right. To be able to derive meaning from right. it for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. It just was too big a, a leap from how I've been, you know, formed in mm -hmm. this life up until mm -hmm. a certain point. And so Neo-Tantra was like accessible. It was about moving my body. It was fun. It was like connecting with people. It was like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's it's very practical. <laughs> it's very practical and easy to access. And so I had a lot of big openings from that path initially. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I still, it's why I teach it because I think it's very potent for the way we're wired. Yeah. And then at some point, all those openings kind of like leveled out. They kind of flatlined. And I was like, well, I'm not getting high on, you know, mm. my like awakenings anymore. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? And what happens is once we liberate those larger amounts of energy in the body mm -hmm. and we integrate them, it becomes a new baseline. It becomes a new normal. So I had reached like a new normal with all that I had sort of freed up and opened. Mm. And I knew to keep going deeper, it was going to have to look different. And that's like I had been sort of dabbling in classical Tantra through a movement practice uh, called the Tantric Dance of Feminine Power, um, which was created by Bhatra cool. Ma. Yeah, what yes. What is that like? It's, it's a that very like? profound methodology path. So it was created by a woman, Bhatra Ma, who then basically trained a, few, a handful of priestesses to teach it. One of them be, has become my classical Tantra teacher, Nita Rubio. And so that's how I first started working with her in this. And it was still a movement practice, but it was very deep. It started to bring in Shakti in the form of specific deities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, I'll, I'll just name the one that most people know because she's so popular today is Kali, mm -hmm. like as a form, you know, like Saraswati. And like people have some familiarity with the different forms of often from the Hindu world these different, you know, tantric deities. But in this particular dance, we were working with how to contact the energies of those forms of consciousness through our bodies, through the portal of the womb. So that was like my entrance to just like a little bit of like, you know, heading in that direction. And then Nita, my teacher of that dance, uh, continued her own deep study with her guru and is pretty much just like, she's amazing right now in terms of what she's holding and wisdom and knowledge. And she's been approved to teach like traditional tantric sadhanas that are not widely available. So 
That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's now my path. And what I've kind of felt is so different from all of that is unpacking what I call those hard to reach aspects of, you could call it the ego, but it, deeper than that, it's like the subtle body. So it's like we have, you know, the gross body with the emotions and like the sensations and all these different things. And we have the way the brain fires and the nervous system and all of that. That's like what we're working a lot through the neotantric practices. And then there comes a point where we, we get into the realm of the subtle body anatomy, the chakras and what's being held in your, like the samskaras and all these different habitual patterns that have been held. What is a samskara? Yes, thank you for asking. So samskara is a Sanskrit word for like a groove. You could think of it kind of like when they talk about those neurological pathways that get fired over and over yes. and over again and yes. creates like a groove. Yes. It's, that's pretty much like what a samskara is. So it's They like, say that after, they say, I read a report somewhere years yeah. ago that after 25 they kind of start to shut down. Like it's more work yeah. to create new ones. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and so we'll keep firing those same neural pathways. And those neural pathways are mirrored in our energy bodies. So a lot of the Hindu and tantric philosophies, even in the Chinese systems, they get into the deep you know, energy mm -hmm. body mm -hmm. anatomy, mm -hmm. which mirrors a lot of our physical anatomy, but it's different. And in that energy anatomy, we're holding those same grooves or patterns. You could talk about things that may have been repeating, if you believe in multiple lives, for multiple lifetimes, you know, or things that have just become so habituated that you were born into in this lifetime. So that the, the work I found with the classical tantra starts to re-pattern those grooves, like those really deeper, wow. hard to reach, like I can't do this through therapy, I can't do this through somatic work, like, yeah, kind of grooves, so that you start to have access to, you know, I guess you could call it like cleaning up your karmas, you mm -hmm. know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you give our listeners a specific example of just like the type of thing someone might want to heal that isn't yeah. being healed through therapy or other methods? Yeah. So one of the things that I've, it's been a lifelong pattern in my nervous system is being overwhelmed. So being easily overwhelmed by life, <laughs> you know, by environments, by people with big energy, by, I'm just a sensitive person that way, right? Pisces, sun, cancer, moon. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's <laughs> deeply sensitive. Yes, exactly. So, um, but in addition to that, like, I, for me, the overwhelm, went beyond just being sensitive because I've definitely built more capacity through all the work that I've done to be able to be with lots of different types of energies and create healthy boundaries and practices to help clear that energy and all that stuff. But there's a part of my system that like would still like hook on to creating the overwhelm in some kind of way, like, like just working myself into that space of like, I don't, I'm not safe here. I don't have control here. I'm out mm -hmm. of control. Like whatever that those pieces are. And it was beyond being able to like self-talk myself out of it or like, you know, deep breathe myself out of it right. and those kinds of things. And so through this work, like, you know, it, it's funny because the work itself, things don't liberate in the moment of the practice. So my practice often looks like sitting down and doing mantra, you know, for like an hour, half an hour to an hour or doing rituals with pujas and different things. And I'm what I'm doing is basically awakening the consciousness of a specific energy deity, which has certain qualities that they oversee or run in this world. I'm awakening those energies in my own body. 
And I was working with a specific practice to heal some things around heart stuff, I think it was. And I was confronted with those specific patterns of overwhelm. I got stuck on a plane on a tarmac with no air conditioning on those tiny commuter planes. <laughs> and it was like the temperature was raising. And my like claustrophobia, oh. like overwhelmed by the environment, can't get out of here started. Because I started to feel everyone's energy in yes. the plane start to yeah. ratchet up. And then my own feelings of like feeling trapped. And I was doing all this stuff to like, you know, like I was doing my mantra. I was like, I got up and went to the back of the plane to get some water and all these different pieces. But what was fascinating is that I thought I was going to tip into a panic attack. And I was able to watch the energy and watch my mind enough that I didn't go into a panic attack. I actually managed to have contact, have a conversation with the person sitting next to me eventually that sort of like brought everything down until we got back to the gate. Yeah. But it was what I found myself was I ended up getting put in several situations like that, including being stuck in like a New York City train, like during the power outage there over the summer. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It was like similar experiences, like like some of my worst nightmares, yeah. you know? And what it, what I was being shown, though, was the, the capacity in my system that had cultivated from the practice to start to be with these situations a little differently. So it wasn't completely gone, but each time I experienced it, it actually got a little bit better. Okay. And it was definitely different than it would have been in the past where I would have gone into a panic attack or something along those lines. So in your work with people, these are a lot of really giant pieces. Yes. <laughs> How do you start? <laughs> like, like, where do you actually begin? And I, I yeah. imagine there's some level of meeting people where they currently are. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's a good question because I start simply. We start really simply. I mean, a lot of what I've broken down with people is like I have a framework I work with people where we do eight sessions to start. In that eight sessions, we, there's a progression. Mm -hmm. So we start off really simple. We start off working with how to like learn ways to relieve tension from your body because mm -hmm. that's a big part. Like how do you reestablish relaxation in your system? How to work with your mind? Um, then we go into like how do we work with your emotions? And yeah. so we're really cultivating specific things. Like one of them is emotional intelligence. You know, like all these different awarenesses about triggers and reactivity and how to work with that stuff. Yeah. And then we're also working erotic intelligence. We start to learn like how the sexual energy, how to spark it in your body on purpose. Like what? <laughs> well, specific practices, you know, it's really yeah. all of its movement, breath, mm -hmm. sound. I work with, you know, the the pubic coccygeus muscles mm -hmm. and like, and I'm, all this is like you're, I'm teaching you practices where you're doing mm -hmm. this with your mm -hmm. own body. Yeah. I always, I'm clear to people, I'm like, I, I don't touch you unless you want me to. Right. And all this is with clothes oh, on. Do you get, do you get strange inquiries? About... Not so much anymore. Okay. I try to be very clear, clear like it, both in my website and when I do consults with yeah. people, like this is not, you know, I, cause there are some people that provide they call dakini services or, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. sexual um, therapy in that right. way. Right. But yeah, for me, it's mostly like teaching you my desire is to teach people how to have a practice that's going to put them in contact with their sexual energy in a holistic way on a regular basis yeah. and learn how to be fed by it and learn how to have it empower them. So yeah, so it's it's kind of a stepwise progression through all these different pieces. And then we also work in relational pieces. We get mm -hmm. to like working the pieces about boundaries and having needs conversations yeah. and, you know, all these different things. Yeah. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked with a couple individually, but in parallel, like where they want to come do individual sessions with you? That's how I feel like oh, people should do it. At the same time? I know. It should. Well, you know what I have done in couple sessions? Mm-hmm. I always take a portion of the session to give them practices to do with their own bodies. That's great. First, yeah. yeah. So we always make sure that they're getting into their bodies first yeah. and they're connecting with themselves and we're bringing awareness to certain things that I see happening in each of their own bodies. And then we'll do partner work mm-hmm. and we'll work with how from that more relaxed open space they can connect with each other in different ways. So on a broader level that's not giving away anyone's personal details, yeah. can you speak to some of what you've observed in the people you've worked with? Yeah, totally. Let's see. I mean, it kind of varies the gamut. So it's often women who find me because they tend to be the leaders in relationship or the feminine partner. <laughs> and a lot of times it varies. Like it's, the, I would say the, the consistent through line is that everyone wants deeper intimacy. So they're looking for that feeling of being connected with another person, that feeling of being comfortable in their own bodies, of being able to vocalize, well, first to understand what it is that they want and need, because a lot of yes. people have a hard time just even knowing. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I still know. figuring I st- some stuff out. I still do too, often. Like, just like, wait, what do I need? Yeah. So that's a, that's a, that's a whole skill set to develop, that listening of like, what is needed in this moment, mm-hmm. and then how to ask for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's a lot of the baseline of what people are looking for. But then even beyond that, sometimes there are traumas in our past that people are looking to heal, whether that's from, you know, violent relationships or sexual violations of different kinds. And sometimes it's it's about loneliness, like people who've had patterns of not being able to stay in relationship or to know that basically they haven't been able to have a deeply connected relationship, but they want one, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And they're ready to get to the heart of what's underneath that. And then when I work with couples, it's it's a lot to do with, in particular, it's usually the, the feminine partner feeling either shut down or abandoned in some way. Mm-hmm. So either she's not interested in being sexual anymore, she, you know, wants to be, but like, feels turned off or is not getting turned on by her partner. And what I find a lot is that it's actually people are either harboring huge amounts of tension from emotional things that they're repressing or it's about like how busy life has been and like they're just not prioritizing ways to connect. Yeah. You know? I hear that from so many people who write to me. Yeah. 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 And I feel it's a lot more acute, like as I've been working now for a longer period of time, I find it's getting louder with all of the digital disconnect that's going on. Totally. So like the way people don't have boundaries around technology in their relationships, but also just like their work, like the pure demand on what it takes to show up for your job and to stay connected to like what's happening in the world and still show up for your relationship. And if you have kids on top of that, it's just a lot for most humans to navigate. I was gonna say, I struggle as a single person. All I have to do is take care of myself and my cat. Yeah. And I'm struggling. Yeah, exactly. And I can only imagine what it's like to have a family and a spouse and yeah. Yeah. So you're constantly navigating your own emotional terrain 
you know, those of all the people you share a space yeah. with and what's happening in the world. And you're supposed to keep up. And, and you're supposed to you keep up. You don't have an excuse not yeah. to. So mostly like, you know, a lot of people are just coming to me, I would say, in a state of some kind of like freeze or shutdown. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they don't, they wouldn't name it that. No. You know, they, they name it all kinds of other things. But that's actually what we're healing is, is the causes of that freeze or shutdown. What is the effect of doing this work, if any, on your own sex life? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like if you're coming on your own and you want to just improve your own sex life? No, you personally. Oh, like, me. Like, it's a lot of energy. Do oh, you have boundaries yeah. set? I mean, I imagine you have boundaries set up. Yeah. But not to project all over you. Yeah. Like, like, that's a lot to hold and yeah. to, to be, what's the word? Shepherding, ushering. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question. I've had to learn... I, I have had to refine my boundaries over the years, yeah. you know, for sure. Like I have standard boundaries I set up, you know, I, which I go over, you know, students when we first start working together about what they can expect from me and, you know, how I need them to show up and those kinds of things. So we have clear agreements. Mm-hmm. But then for myself and my own personal practice, I've had to learn how to like regularly empty myself of other people's stuff mm-hmm. you know whether that's like taking baths or like going to the korean spa for a day <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a good one right yes. yeah. yeah it's very effective that blend of heat and water i mean yes yeah i feel you yeah so you know i actually have to take my own advice a lot and i struck i try to structure my schedule to have transition time between things yes to have buffer Beautiful. days you know like all these different things of like I'm very passionate about self-care yeah (laughs) and so that's been a big thing in terms of just keeping my own self in good shape Mm -hmm. to show up for the work to shift into the realm of specifics yeah can you tell me what you love about sex yeah like on a purely physical level and it could be anything I can always ask more questions oh my god this is like I could go on forever yeah there's so much to love about sex (laughs) You know, like I think, okay, I could talk about it probably from a different, a lot, like a couple of different layers. Mm-hmm. So there's firstly just the energetic layer, you know, because I think, who is it? Jaya of World Sex Education. She has like a whole like yeah. sexual um, where you can do your blueprint yeah, of yeah, different yeah, yeah, types. Yeah. So, so I'm an energetic. <laughs> okay. And, and so for me, a lot of the sex I like to have starts with the energy connection. Mm. You know, uh, like, is there a connection? Like I can't have. I've, I have had, but I have not enjoyed sex with people that I don't feel a connection with. It's not as good. Not as good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but just to acknowledge that there is a way to have sex that way. I just don't like it for myself personally. Can you articulate what it feels like to be connected? I yeah. always like to ask questions yeah. that are, because I feel like this challenge of articulating a totally. deep feeling is one of the hardest things. And I think it's really good because I think it's different for each person yeah, in some way. Exactly. Um, for me, it is, it is, it boils down to one being seen, mm-hmm. like getting that someone is actually like seeing me, like not my body as an object, not like their desires projected onto me, yeah. you know, but there's something in the way that they're looking at my eyes where I really feel like they're taking me in. Or the way that they're touching my body where I can feel their presence with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part is really a big part of what makes me feel connected. And then um, there's that piece of like rhythm and resonance. So I feel like people have, there's so many different types of people, you know, and and finding that match of that person that's like 
at that same tempo as you yes. is so important because yes. I've had different tempos, you know, and it's always a little harder to like get on the same page together. Mm -hmm. And so like somebody like for me, I like to move slow. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like to linger. I like a full day of sex, you know, like. <laughs> yes. And like if the first hour of that can be them just teasing me. Yeah. I will go fucking crazy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah all of that. I like play, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I like teasing and tantalizing, touch, yeah. like all kinds of touch. And that, like being creative, like having that variety of using your voice. Like I'm a big one about like working all the senses, yes. you know? Like drink me in visually and give me something interesting to look at. And like say my name, like whisper it to my mm. whole body, like, you know, run your fingertips down my body and like finger light strokes and then like squeeze me really hard you yes. know just like all of that variety of awakening the senses i love and the creativity and that baseline has to be there for me of you know love really at least some kind of mutual respect at the very yes. least <laughs> I, I always say I pretty much love the people I sleep with. And that's not yeah. to say that I'm in deep relationship. I yeah. actually mostly have casual relationships, yeah. but they are connected. Yes, you know? exactly. There, there's a, it's like how you love your friends. Exactly. Because also I don't want to fuck somebody that I don't care about. Right, exactly. Like, that I hate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, thanks. yeah. I mean, because I, I really do enjoy, you know, the physical sensations that can arise yeah. from titillating and touching all these different parts. But without that baseline of the love there, it's like there's a part of me that won't open mm -hmm. and there's a part, there's a depth I can't really touch. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately about the word transcendence and what it feels yeah. like because sex is, for me, that's my religion. Like that is where I have experienced God, yes. what I conceive of as God, like the yeah. ultimate creative energy. Yes. And for me, it fuels all of my creative work. Yes. And so I literally believe that when we are living more creative lives, mm. I think it includes sex. Like I think there's a direct relationship between creativity and, I mean, it is, sex is creativity. I like, say like that you said. all the yeah, time. It yes. is. It's and creation. so like for me to just feel turned on in all of those ways yeah. and connected to a person, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the heart of it for me. It's 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 just that. It's like once you know sex can be a transcendent experience, it's hard to like sign up for anything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's like when you know that's possible. Do you remember your first transcendent sexual experience? Oh my goodness. You know? It's funny cuz I think I've had them grow. Yeah, over I was going to say I don't know if I could yeah. pinpoint one, but I could give you like yeah. types of Zones yeah, exactly. Like I think like in my teenage years, it had a particular flavor. Like, because yeah. it would be that. I would be like with someone that I really loved. Ooh, let's ask some, can I ask yeah, some details? Yeah. So going back to teenage years. Yeah. Okay. So you were a hot tail yes. as a child. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> I would love to hear just the brief timeline of like when you started touching yourself, when yeah. you started exploring with partners and when you had your first partner yeah. sex, however you define it. Of course. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then relate that to the transcendent. The transcendent. So, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because I remember when I made that leap in adolescence, like middle school, probably around the age of like 13 to engaging sexually in a way that I knew it was like sexual, like I knew mm -hmm. it was happening. And very early on, I remember having experiences that were overwhelming, mm -hmm. like they were too much too fast for me. And at that time, I didn't know how to say no. With partners? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And so, you know, like I remember finding all these ways to like try to wiggle out of a connection or without mm-hmm. saying no, yeah. and, you know, different kinds of things along on those ways. And I remember distinctly like a push pull between really liking some of the sensations, but also feeling like overwhelmed and scared yes. of what I was getting into and not being able to stop it. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And, and I think there was a turning point where there was a break. Like I had like probably two or three encounters like that. And then I took a little break and I was self-exploring. And I remember thinking to myself, it was around the time I grew up in New York. So a lot of, there was a lot of like expedited sexual experiences, you know, people doing things very early on. And so by the time I was 13, two of my best friends had already had sex. Mm. And I knew I wasn't ready, but I was like, well, I'm going to get ready. thing I was like most scared of was it hurting yeah and I had heard about the whole like stretching and all this so I'm like I'm gonna stretch myself <laughs> that, you know that makes sense yeah so I was like I don't want anyone else to do it for me I want to be prepared oh. so I remember actually like playing with you know starting with my fingers and my goal was to work my way up to a cucumber <laughs> I don't think I ever got it in past like the tip, but <laughs> also some cucumbers are really big. Some cucumbers are really big. Yeah, these were. So, um, but that I, I, you know, it was through that process of self exploration that I started to learn my body yeah. and like what felt good and how I like to be touched. Do you feel comfortable sharing how you like to be touched, like specifically? Uh, yeah, sure. Like. Mm, I like a lot of petting, mm-hmm. so I realized like I really liked to pet along my vulva and like mm. that I'm I have a very sensitive clitoris. Me too. So yeah. I, I don't like a whole lot of direct stimulation there, but I like, cannot handle yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah. So all and when you say petting, indirect. do you mean like light touches or is it like more of a pressured? Sort yeah. Of... So it's like either little light touches mm-hmm. or like if you can like squeeze it between oh, the vulva or between that's, different that's tissues. That's how I actually started masturbating. Yeah. Like my first, my first masturbations were like this. Oh, lips. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, I like, you know, all those like indirect forms of mm-hmm. touch and mm-hmm. manipulation with the clitoris. And then I also really liked putting my fingers inside. Mm-hmm. And I don't think back then I even knew that the clitoris was like this separate pleasure. Yeah. Organ, I just knew that, like, you know, even with my fingers inside, I was still getting it. And so, like, there was, but there was, I liked that feeling being able to feel the tissues inside of my vagina. And Uh so, you know, I was just kind of amazed that, like, I could get wet and, like, these different things, like, just fascinated Mm -hmm. me then, Mm -hmm. you know. And so, yeah, that for me was, like, I didn't know until much later how much that gave me, being able to have exploration like that and become friends, you know, with my pleasure parts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yes. And so I think that actually helped me attract, like, my first, like, real, like, lover it was an Italian guy. I had just Ooh. had the biggest crush on him. We were best friends. And, you know, we had an on-again, off-again thing going. <laughs> but he just was so tender in the way that he would you know he would ask me he's like does this feel good and amazing you know such a simple question such a simple question did not get asked for way too long yeah exactly I mean a lot of people don't still don't as an adult and just like but you know especially then when there's so much insecurity as a teenager also it's so much more useful than what do you like yeah like does this feel good it's so much more useful because it's just this big scary question where i'm supposed to have all the answers and it's my fault if i don't exactly and it's like that creativity plus i feel like there's that whole thing where you know 
people are afraid to get it wrong. Like, oh, yes. You know, like yes. I know there's a whole pressure to On like, both perform. Sides. Exactly. I'm afraid to yeah. make you feel wrong. Right. But you are getting it wrong. Exactly. And I don't know how to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All that stuff. Yeah. So I loved because we had such a casual rapport with each other. Like we had, it was like we could say anything, yeah. you know. And <sighs> Beautiful. Yeah. There was just that that like kind of back and forth and with each other. And you were a teenager at this point? Yeah. Okay. And so he's the one I decided to lose my virginity mm-hmm. to. And I don't even like using that term. I, yeah. I decided to have sex for the first time. Your sexual that. debut. Nice. Your partnered I, sexual I like that. debut. My partnered sexual debut. I read that debut. on an Instagram somewhere. I, I love nice. that. Love it. Yes. We we had this whole pact where we're like, okay, if we if neither one of us had had sex before we you know, by the time we were turning sixteen, mm-hmm. then we would be each other's first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we were approaching that window and this opportunity, you know, arrived for us to to do this at a party. <laughs> And so we did. And and it was really sweet. He was, like, so sweet about it in so many ways. The rest of the night ended up being a bit of a shit show because of other things that happened with, you know, people that were there and a Mm -hmm. sexual violation that happened on the heels of that, which, yeah, which was really confusing for a long time to have both in the same night. Like, a really sweet, like, you know, first experience of intercourse and then a sexual violation following it. Wow. But, like to me that was kind of like what sex was it was this wild world of like sweet pleasures and um connection and tenderness with like danger and like things going wrong at the drop of a dime and and I kept having experiences not to that extreme but you know with sexuality where it was that it was kind of like a crapshoot about you know whether this was going to be a situation that felt good or a situation that kind of turned, yeah. you know, and it, it was, it's, it can be so subtle the way that it can turn. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, not being able to tell someone you don't like the way that feels, yeah. you know, and then you're just kind of suffering through it until it's over or, you know. Been there. Yeah, exactly. You know. Also and, have been there and didn't realize I was suffering until later. Right. Like, because I'm like, is it supposed to feel like this? Okay. Yeah. Am I doing something wrong? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's, I think it's that so much of it is not spoken about mm-hmm. or explored and we're just like, like, I didn't know how to ask myself those questions, no. you know, or how to even inquire about what was happening. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked Not about it. Not covered in sex ed. Yeah, exactly. And that's the part that was so wild to me is that, like, going through my sexual awakening was that, you know, I felt like I was just kind of figuring it out on my own. Yep. And there was all this, you know, my parents' orientation to it was just like, don't have sex. (laughs) I think, like, my mom, I was 16. I was on to my second boyfriend slash second sexual partner. And, you know, like, he came into my room a few times while they were home. And so my mom got to be in her bonnet about us being sexually active. And so her conversation with me was kind of like, I know you're not dumb enough to be sexually active. Oh, Whoa. I was like, that doesn't even leave me an opening to tell you that I am, (laughs) you know? So, but I I mean, now I recognize it was her own discomfort and just not knowing how to have that conversation with me. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty much, you know, it it was like I I was the one to put myself on birth control in high school, you know, um, when I was sexually active, like How did you do that? I looked up a Planned Parenthood. Okay. Yay for Planned Parenthood. Yay Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, because I I knew I didn't want to get pregnant Mm -hmm. and he was not good at putting on a condom. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I put myself on birth control and then told my mom like a year later or something like that. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I think a lot of what I hear and what I experienced personally is this like sorting things out, you know, sexually. So even getting back to the transcendent piece. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't forgotten. Yeah. (laughs) To the transcendent piece. I feel like even in that first relationship, there were moments. It was interestingly enough. I would have these transcendent moments with him after a low moment. So after that moment where we actually had sex for the first time and that violation occurred, we went through a whole thing where he was upset because he had asked me to go home with him that night Mm -hmm. from the party to, you know, to take care of me. And I didn't let him because I told my parents I was going to be staying at the house and I didn't want to, you know, break my word. Um, Can I pause and interrupt to ask yeah. was the sexual violation from him or from another person it was from another person. okay i just feel like contextually yes important. Okay, thank you great. yes absolutely very important yeah it was from another person and i had decided to spend the night at that place had passed out and woke up to something happening oh fuck yeah okay and so when it was discovered in the morning like word got out with the rest of the people that were at the home and my male friends who were being stupid teenage boys you know blamed it on me they i got slut shamed and then the friend of mine who was, you know, my first encounter and who I loved was upset. He was upset that I hadn't gone home with him. Mm. He was upset that this had happened. Like, oh, that's it was heavy that's stuff. So many layers of heavy. It was very heavy stuff. And um, and so I was really uh, depressed for for a moment. He came around and like like rose to the occasion and really like apologized and, you know, asked me more questions and like helped me talk through some things you know at a time where I didn't really have anybody to to talk to about all of it and so it kind of like rebonded us and connected us and then we had sex again Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was from that place though of like having touched such deep pain and then being held in it and really loved there and then opening to that person that then I had that like you know euphoric feeling from our connection after that so that was like an initial experience of that. But then like as time went on, I think it would come from like there was definitely a few other instances and it always would come from for one reason or another, my body being able to build up enough charge. So whether that was like the day long sex, you know, where there's just like a lot of pleasure that builds and builds and builds that charge in the body. Or if I was like, had been smoking weed and was like extra sensitive and like (laughs) totally (laughs) you know it was like in those pockets I would notice like so much energy would build in my body it would tip into these spaces of feeling it sounds trite to say like I was floating but it's like where literally I was elevated above everything Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and there was this feeling of consistent pleasure and contentment that just like permeated every cell in my body that would last for hours oh my gosh yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that was like my first taste of it. Of course, I had no context for what was happening. Yeah. And then it wasn't until Tantra that I discovered how to actually create that for myself, you know, and how to create that like without drugs or Amazing. without another person. Yeah. yeah. And what got a better understanding about what was going on there. So just to be clear, you are capable of creating that for yourself. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I've I stumbled into... Like, like you said, I feel like I've had layers of my understandings based on whatever I was able to 
have the capacity to feel at the yeah, time yeah. of that transcendence. And I feel like the the height of it was a couple of years ago, I, I was in a BDSM relationship with my former master mm-hmm. and it was brand new to me. You know, like I was, I'm still unpacking all of it and yeah. still figuring out like, whoa, like what is happening? And so it's like, that's where I had some of my most intense experiences. So even yeah. just hearing you talk about creating that for yourself, I'm like, wait, you mean nobody else will beat me into ecstasy? What? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. It's like, you totally can do it. You just don't know the, yeah. how to. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and it's very different. I mean, I would say because like from what I've experienced of BDSM and also, you know, like it's similar to what I was talking about before, when we hit these, you know, there's a tie between pain and pleasure. And so when we hit these like very electric spaces in our system, like around any kind of pain or discomfort, like it opens up the threshold for like huge amounts of pleasure. And that's why that's one of the things that people actually have to make peace with, right? It's just that like, you're going to have to feel some pain if you want to feel more pleasure, like you got to let it in. (laughs) And like the, the way that I learned how to create it from um, myself through Tantra is a very different flavor where it's, I don't even know, like it never, the pain never feels like pain, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like it, when I reach those points and I go into like a full body orgasmic state or something like that, there might be pain that erupts through tears, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, or sound or different things, but it never feels like pain. It just feels like release. Wow. And then it opens up into like those waves of just like, you know, pleasure and bliss. And, and they are different than kind of like the sharp charge that can come from yes. other kinds of yeah. sexual pleasure. It's more like this, like being absorbed into a field of just like yumminess. <laughs> I mean, I want to be absorbed into a field of yumminess. Yeah, I mean, I totally do. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, it's been interesting to taste all the different, like lots of different yes. flavors of what it is to like transcend. I would say beyond just the normal, you know, biophysical pleasure or orgasmic type experience into what it is when the energy opens up wider into those other places. What has it been like? Pre- okay. If I'm remembering your timeline correctly, yeah, you began this work when you were with the partner that you eventually ended the relationship with yes, after eight years. Totally. Yeah. And you said six years in was kind of when you started? Yeah. I think it was like five. Six. Okay. Mm-hmm. How does doing this work affect partnered sex for you? Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, in a funny way, I've always felt a little like outside the norm. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of interesting pieces, but yeah. Yeah. So like there's been a part of me that's always felt like I don't quite belong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would say that it's taken me even further out into that spectrum of like, it's a lot harder I imagine. I mean, I I dated a little bit in between, like Mm -hmm. after that relationship. And then, you know, with my husband now, we broke up twice before we like moved towards marriage. And I dated a little bit in between there. And every time I was with other people, it kind of reminded me how particular I am. Right. I mean, well, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, who can kind of keep up with not keep up with I don't like yeah. that but like who can match you who can yeah, hang with you exactly like, who can hang with you sexually exactly. when you're like opened up in this way yeah I mean so what's interesting is I find the baseline that I need that makes me open to someone is some kind of reverence for woman mm-hmm. so Ooh, I love yeah it. Oh, just 
Can you say that again? <laughs> yes. Reverence for woman. Reverence for woman. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So when someone shows up with that, like regardless of what they know or don't yes. know, like it just creates a baseline where I'm like, okay, we can talk. Yeah. You know, we can explore here. <laughs> because I know automatically there's some things that I have no tolerance for that won't be there. Yes. You know, like misogyny and yes. like, yes. you know, just like yes. objectifications and things like that. So yeah, that reverence is a good baseline. And then the second part I look for is a person's touch, you know? So that goes a long way if someone's so got a great much. touch. Like, it, as long as they have, like, enough sensitivity in their hands to kind of, like, respond to the things that are happening in my yes, body. Yes, because it's not just about touch or how they touch. It's about – it's a conversation. Exactly. It's a physical conversation. Yes. And that's when I'm like, oh, you're not here with me. At all. You're somewhere yeah. else. Yes. You're a robot. Yes. You know, you're a human robot. Yeah, exactly. So that ability to have some presence yes. um, and, and, a, and presence in their touch. And on top of that, like, yeah, the ability to make eye contact is a big one. And it's hard for a lot of people. Like, but if, you know – if I'm with someone who's trying to be intimate with me and they can't, yeah. you know, maintain eye contact, they can't actually be present in their eyes with me, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually gotten told that I make too much eye contact. Oh, no, so it's I've lovely. Had to learn, I mean, I've had to learn blinking. And then, but when I'm really, like, listening, yeah. I, like, look at people and it yeah. freaks people. And then also sometimes I use my photographer eyes because I'm just taking in, like, yeah. light and shape. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I, I do, too. Because I'm yeah. also like, hi, I see you in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, which is so great. I mean... I, I really feel like it goes a long way to creating safety, mm -hmm. you know, to be like, oh, you're, you're seeing, so you're going to see if something changes in me that's yeah. not okay. And, you know, yeah. I also, okay, I don't know if this is appropriate to talk about on a sex podcast. Children. <laughs> yeah. Make eye contact with me. Yes. You know, and I think that is yeah. one of, babies always stare at me, but yes. I think it's because I look at them too. Yes. And, so, and it, there's not the filter of. Yes. Well, it's funny it, because I tell people all the time, I do bring children into talking about sex because it's with us from the time we're born. Yes. Our sexuality. Yes. The more that I talk to people too, the more I'm like, oh, two, three, four, yes. not unusual. That's right. It's a, it's, it's there from the moment we're born. Yeah. Breastfeeding, like all these different yeah. things are igniting pleasure and oxytocin, all that stuff. And we, it's adults that, that turn it into something that's not okay for kids. Yes. Yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, we need to check ours out. Totally. And you're right. I think children, I mean, part of what I'm always doing with the work that I'm doing is actually trying to help people return to the innocence mm -hmm. in their sexuality and the innocence that they had with their sexuality as children. Yeah. Because there's a purity there. Yeah. And the, that eye contact piece, there's a presence there that hasn't been covered over by the heartbreak of the world yet. Oh. Yeah. And that is so painful. Yeah. Because that's ultimately, I find, what shuts people down. Like, I used to take it personally if someone couldn't be present with me, you know, or, like, <laughs> wasn't listening. Or, right. And, you know, as I've grown, learned, and just educated myself more, I'm, like, I realize that just a good deal of the population is walking around traumatized. Yes. Heartbroken. Yes. Unable to connect with themselves, much less another person. We're so lonely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those pieces. And which is why, yeah, back to the original point, it does make it harder sometimes to find, yeah. you know. What about in the in-between years, between your husband and those early experiences? Mm -hmm. So you had that eight-year relationship. That yeah. was big. Yes. Can you give us, like, just a quick arc of what your sex life was like there? Or was it? Yeah. Well, it's like even, I, I'm a serial monogamist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I've had like, you know, dating and, and short relationships in between much longer ones. And so, you know, after high school, I had my first long one, which was like two years, mm-hmm. which straddled high school to my first year of college mm-hmm. with someone who was super sweet, like just, you know, the kind of person like he would make me collages and mixtapes. Oh my and, gosh. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. Just, like, <laughs> just really, really sweet in a lot of ways. And he built up my self-esteem actually. Mm. Like he was one of the first people who really made me feel like I'm worthy of, you know, being loved yeah. in that way. And I'll always credit him for that. And then there was a bunch of other dating experiences in between. And then I stumbled into my four-year relationship mm-hmm. in college. And that lasted college through my first two years out of college. Mm-hmm. And that one was all based on chemistry. Like sexual chemistry? Oh, yeah. <sighs> Mm. I mean, that sounds like a great college relationship. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, and it taught me a lot about how, and because I see this over and over again with the people, the couples that I work with, is that chemistry often comes with conflict. Mm. More Can you conflict. say more about that? Yeah. So people, I find, often want both chemistry and connection like mm-hmm. and compatibility. Yeah. And typically you're going to get like more of one or the other. Having them both at the same time is 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 possible but there's going to be one that's just like the one you do best right. or you do most easily together. And so when there is chemistry like I had in that relationship, it's usually due to difference. Like chemistry comes from different things yeah. coming together and creating this tension. Yeah. Right? And so that tension is great when there's just like, you know, sexual play. Yeah. But for living life together, not it, so much. Not so much. So we fought a lot, and he fought in a way I didn't like to fight, you know, with like slamming doors and name calling mm. and <laughs> all that stuff that eventually I was like, I, in that relationship, I actually like lost myself. Mm. And it was after leaving that relationship, I was like, I will never like give myself away to a person like that again. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, the sex was so good. <laughs> Did you guys, were you mostly like in the bedroom sex? Did you go out and explore? Like what made it yeah, good? Yeah, all of it. Was it. Were you exploring new things too or like what? Yeah, I mean, well, a big, I think a big part of it was just like he was one of those guys who was like really into being like a good lover. Mm-hmm. Like he he had a large dick and he knew it and he wasn't shy about it. And um, he was really into his looks and, you know. He was an actor, so he's very like you know, oh, like, no. big ego, big oh, no. charismatic, you know, all these things, charming. Yeah. yeah. So he would, you know, we played a lot. Like he would, he would. That's so fun. Yeah, he was just really good at like coming on to me and like mm-hmm. making me feel like shy and yeah. like yeah. <laughs> just like really just setting the stage for making me feel really like sexual and desired. And yes. Feeling desired things. is such a huge piece oh, for me. So big. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. not like pawed after, not and not like like the desire, like what you said. Oh my God, what's the beautiful phrase that you said? Wait, oh yeah, the reverence for reverence, women. Yeah. Like desire plus reverence yes. for women. Yes. Is the hottest thing because yes. I'm like, you do deserve me. Yes. I I will be objectified by you in this moment because exactly. it's consensual and I want it and I love how you're looking at me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which exactly. is different from like the weird cat calls on the street or the people who unconsensually send me messages about them masturbating. Yes. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't do that. I don't know how many times I have to say, like, don't send me sexual messages unless I've asked for them. Right. Exactly. You know? And in that piece, like this idea that if you're talking about sex or you're being open or you're that like, I attractive am, That I'm anything. a free whore. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> then it's an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So yeah, so that piece of having the the combination of the reverence with that desire yeah. was just, it was really, it was good. Um, we played a lot and we had sex all over the place and, mm. you know, we did public fun things. Like, do you go out in the world? Yeah. Yeah, we, we had some public sex. It's one of my favorites, actually, to have public sex. Yeah. Like yeah. where? I, well, I love, like, parks. Okay. <laughs> It sounds weird and no, it may be a little kinky, so but like many people, especially like, like playgrounds yeah. at night. <laughs> have you ever been like in a tunnel slide? I think about having yeah. sex in a tunnel slide. I have not done that, I but now I it. want to. <laughs> but also not the kind, you know how, I don't know if you remember when you were little sliding down tunnel slides, you can get the static yes, uh, shocks yes, a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want that. No, but like, no. Just in a good But just part. like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love those little, like, being tucked under a bridge yes, or, like, yes, you know, like, it's yes. like you're kind of, like, hidden away, but you're out there. Yeah. And you can hear people off in the distance. And yeah. you make a call, but probably not. And, you know, all of that. Totally. Yeah, so I love – that has always been a big turn-on for me is, like, awesome. sex in public. But, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And then coming out of that, you know, I had a bunch of interesting sexual encounters, like, really just different people learning about, like, how people have sex in different ways and – you know, there was one guy who just like would make sounds like he was eating a really good meal. You like know, when, mm. when he was into it, yeah, like <laughs> just like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm laughing, but I want to say I also kind of love that. It like, was I like, enjoyed it. Yeah, like I those things. Like I just think sex noises are so weird and funny, but yeah. not in a shamey way. No, like just like no. a, like a. Oh. No, it just would always catch me off guard. But I was so tickled though because yes. I knew he was enjoying himself. Yes. Well, I think that's the other thing is like I have become, I used to be silent because when I started touching mm. myself, it was like in secret, you know, yeah. like in my bedroom. Yeah. And then when I started making noise initially, it was for the benefit of the partner, not for myself. Mm. And so now when I hear weird noises come out of me, I'm just like, oh my, I'm really into this, you know, and yes. I just love that. And so yeah. that's why I love. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of sound. Yeah. Yeah. So that that one he stands out for that reason. Love. But yeah, and then when my the eight year relationship I was in, that was more of like a I think it was like time in through that relationship I confronted a lot of stuff about old traumas that I mm. hadn't processed yet. And so he was the first person I had been with who was like he was very kind of into porn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that he wanted to do and how he liked to have sex was based on that. Oh. Which was very different than the way I had kind of come into my sexuality and knew myself and liked having right. sex. So finding that ground with each other was very difficult to navigate. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that became the crux of a lot of exploration and healing for both of us. Like he had to learn how to become more sensitive and attuned yeah. to my needs. And yeah. I had to get a little bit more daring about the things that I was willing to to explore and the hardest part was really just like getting him on board with like setting me up to be able to be in a place where I could and want to give the yes. things that he wanted to do. Yes. It's like cuz on porn you know important doesn't work like that. The woman shows up and she just you push play. Push play. She just she she's goes. ready. She's ready she when does you that want thing. her. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, she's your toy. And and my argument was always that's not how most real women work. Those are professionals. Even I, I am. I consider myself a sex fiend and a sex lover. And even as a submissive, mm -hmm. I have to be like for my my former master to mm -hmm. come play with me. Like 
we have to be right. Yes. Like you can't just press play. No, exactly. Even though that's what I want. I want to get to that place. Yeah. But you have to do the groundwork. Yeah, you do. I mean, I feel like it's, it's you know, there's a whole preparation <laughs> yeah. that has yeah. to happen to create the openness, the readiness, mm. all of that. So do you feel comfy sharing just briefly any yeah. of the exploration? You mentioned BDSM at one point. Yeah. Have you played as a dumb? No, or? it's funny you say that because it's been in the back of my head about actually learning yeah. about it because it is the uncomfortable place for me. I'm more, okay. I'm more comfortable as a sub, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I have thought like if I could step into that dumb energy, it mm -hmm. would be a very good learning for me mm -hmm. to evolve those parts. Yeah, mostly it, it evolved just from my desire to explore certain kinks, mm -hmm. you know, and like I, I had a whole fantasy or have a whole fantasy about being tied and yes. different things around choking and stuff like that. So yeah, like that that exploration, I've actually been able to find safety doing with my husband now. Great, because he has he has the sensitivity and the listening and yeah, yeah all of those pieces. Oh. So yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Now, can you just tell us how long? Have you been with your husband? It's been six years. Okay. We've been married for two. Okay. Yeah. So in those longer partnerships, can mm. you say anything that you notice about partnered sex over long periods of time? Oh, yeah. It's a good one because a lot of people, I, I feel that one a lot about like the sex getting boring yeah. or infrequent yes. or like all those yeah, different things. Yeah, I hear things. that a lot from people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For good reason, I think, because, you know, as we're with somebody, there's like a buildup of the things we don't like mm -hmm. in our system. So there's like a natural buildup of certain aversions that happen. There's a buildup of resentments that don't get processed. And then there's also just the like, after a while, most people run out of things on their menu, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, because there's like, we do this and we do this and then we do this. And I know this always works. And, and I know you don't like that. So and you don't like do that. that. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then you get in this like rut of like, yeah. this is how we always have sex. And a lot of what creates desire and passion is novelty, you know, which is yeah. why then people go searching for new stuff. Yes. And you can you can bring some of that spark in initially by like switching things up, like having sex in a different place or trying a new toy or experimenting with a new type of sex. But I find it's short lived, you know, and yeah. so to really continue to have a juicy sex life over time, you have to traverse the the big hump for most people which is the going deeper in intimacy with with each other. Yeah. It means really revealing parts of yourself that you haven't revealed or brought to the relationship yet. And that happens in spaces that aren't purely sexual. Yes. All right. So that tends to be the real hurdle, I think, that most people have to traverse in long-term partnership is just like, if you don't want it to get stale, there, there's going to come a point where you have to push into some really uncomfortable places. Yeah. And on the other side is like a new aliveness. Part of the other thing that I think I didn't know when I was younger that is very clear now is that there's cycles in long-term partnerships. So you're going to go through deaths and births of that same mm -hmm. partnership with that person where the relationship will end even if you don't break up. Yeah. Something will end and it'll feel like you've broken up yeah. and you'll go through some kind of huge shift and then it gets reborn on the other side of that. 
So yeah, like even if you're staying with the person, just be prepared to to, <laughs> to have many endings and beginnings. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice, yeah, what age would you pick? Or ages? It can be more than one. Mm. What would you say? That's so interesting. It's funny. The first thing that popped up was thirteen, um, and to my thirteen-year-old self, I think. Well, first, I would want her to know that she's really beautiful <laughs> and desirable. And that there's uh, people out there that will know that and acknowledge that for her. And that I, the other part would be to, to tell her, what I want to say is that it's okay to say no, but I think more clearly that like it's okay to be a no. Like it's okay to not be okay with yeah. things, you know? <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that you don't have to compromise yourself to make other people feel good or to be happy and that I would want to show her actually how to create that feeling of love that she's so hungry for without needing it to come from another person I love that yeah beautiful yeah <laughs> How can people find you if they want to work with you? And can you yeah. give us a little bit of an overview of what you have coming up in March? Yes, absolutely. So I'm at spaceforlove.com. So that's space, F-O-R, love.com. And there's a couple of ways that you can work with me. One of them is I have a group program coming up in March that's going to open up working with yoni eggs, specifically the jade egg. <laughs> Can you briefly tell us about that? I forgot yes, to ask you. Yes, Because yes, I literally just last night was like, someone told me about it and put it on my radar. And I was like, I need to look into this. Yes. And here you are. Yes. I love yoni eggs, jade eggs as tools for sexual awakening. For me, it's been part of my ongoing sexual practice probably for the last six years or so, seven maybe. Like it's funny because it kind of became a bit of a fad in the mainstream where more people know about them. It's like, but a lot of people don't know more than just like I get one and I put it in and yeah. maybe I squeeze it, I walk around with it in. And and I'm a big fan of like actually maybe not walking around with it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but using it for very specific practice time with yourself. So I'm a really big fan of women cultivating something I call um, sovereign sexuality for themselves. You know, this, this ability to have a relationship with your sexuality that is yours and yours alone that can be shared as you choose, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And the jade egg is such a great tool because it's very different than working with a vibrator or another type of sex toy in that it, it doesn't vibrate or move or <laughs> do any of these like things but it provides like a solid surface yeah to have something to be in relationship with as you're practicing so it still gives you that peace and the stones themselves are said to you know bring in different qualities properties of the stones into the vagina so i work with jade because it's a harmonizing stone mm -hmm. brings like a neutral harmony so that any traumas that have been stored there any tensions, um, different things. What I find a lot with with working with women is like there's all of this kind of unknown, sometimes known, aversion to really being in deep relationship with our vaginas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
um, whether that's because of messaging or like there's been health issues or just a variety of different things or, or traumas or violations, just yeah. a variety of different things that kind of can make it a little uncomfortable. And so most women, even if you have a self-pleasure practice, it'll be specifically focused on the clitoris mm -hmm. or on just like moving towards orgasm. Mm -hmm. But the JDAG practices are literally about awakening the, the tissues through the vagina for subtle sensation. So as we're talking about these transcendent states and a lot of those things, you know, full body orgasm, cervical orgasm, all the different types of orgasms you yeah. hear that are possible, a lot of them are dependent on cultivating a certain kind of sensitivity in your body. Cool. And it's a sensitivity that a lot of us don't have because of like real, you know, harsh frictional penetration. Yeah. So Jade Egg brings back that reverence I was talking about, it allows yeah. us to have a reverence for that part of our body and to reestablish like an honoring, a worshiping, uh, and a sensitivity for that So area. this is a group class. Yeah. So this is a group program. It's self-paced. It's all virtual. It's online. You can do it so from anywhere. you can anywhere. do it from anywhere. You oh, can do it great. from anywhere. Yeah. Great. Exactly. Okay. So there are videos that you receive along with emails and instructions and all this stuff. And during the launch, it opens up and it's going to open up at the end of March and it'll be ongoing registration. And then I'm going to do two live Q&A calls during that time awesome. for people. Yeah. Just to get any questions answered as they're practicing. Um, awesome. But it's pretty thorough. This is going to be like the third time we're running it. And women have had some really good experiences from it. So that's amazing. Yeah. Say your website again for us. Yes, absolutely. So it's spaceforlove.com. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you'll find on there is I do offer like a little opening meditation mm -hmm. that you get if you sign up for my newsletter. And then if you're interested in private coaching, which is the other way I work with people, there's a little form you can fill out to sign up for free consultation. So amazing. Yeah. And Instagram handle? Yeah. So Instagram is either at we are space for love or at Kamali Mentor. So you can find me at both places. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing yeah. with us today. Thank you for having me. It's